Welcome to Heavy Strategy back in 2023. Unanswered questions instead of unquestioned answers. What we're trying to do is discuss the topics so they help you um, think for the situation that you're in and provide answers about where you are. You won't find us trying to tell you how to think. Today's topic is architect, engineer, operations. What are these roles and how do they fit into a heavy strategy? The concept here is that even though everybody in an IT team is people, when we build structures inside of organizations, we tend to put people into specific roles and we say those roles are aligned with their personality or with their skills or in line with a, co- a need of the business, which is to say we need somebody to cover this group of tasks. And so we end up with people saying your your operations, your you're an engineer performing say maintenance or new projects, and then you might have a senior person, more skilled person, generally operating as an architect who's responsible for the overall design. Now, which to some extent we've discussed those roles all the time before and tried to define them, but I think what we're going to do is going to redefine those roles today as how do they fit into a strategy, Jonah. How did I do for that hour opening there? Did I leave any, uh, Did I? how many unquestioned answers did I throw out there? Quite a few. I mean, I want to take a step back because I suggested this topic and the place I suggested it, where it came from is I thought about how I define myself and one of the key definitions for myself is an engineer. And I thought, well, what do I mean by that? What does it mean to be an engineer? And I thought about it a little bit and I said, well, uh, I look, I perceive problems or challenges, and I figure out a way to build a solution that addresses those problems and challenges. And then I sort of stopped and said, is that engineering? I mean, that's not actually how my clients, my colleagues view engineering inside an enterprise organization. It's a little bit more limited in engineering. And I thought, yeah, I'm actually encompassing, when I do what I call engineering, I'm encompassing aspects of what we call architecture, engineering, and operations. And then I thought a little bit more and I said, you know, when you're making buildings, there's a hard and fast delineation between the architect who typically has an Ivy League education and has studied aesthetics and studied all sorts of things. And then the contractor who may or may not have a college degree whose job is to build it. And I think at the back of backs of our heads, we hold that distinction a little bit. You know, even you, Greg, when you said people who are more skilled become architects. And I thought about that and I said, you know, we use those words, but that's not what we mean in enterprise technology. What we mean is that the architect is looking at a much bigger picture and how the technology all comes together and how it will evolve over time. And then the engineer's job is to deal with the here and now and then hand off to the operations folks who sort of keep everything, their maintenance, keeping everything functioning. It doesn't actually correspond to any other definitions. It's kind of unique for us in our industry. You know, I'm not sure that it's actually the case that architects are, you know, somehow better than engineers, because if you use the analogy of doing buildings, Mm. architects sometimes will try to design a building that can't be built. And it's the poor contractor who's coming in saying, look, you know, the tensile strength of concrete is not going to allow us to do that fancy whatever it is. Mm -hmm. In our industry, the architect is assumed to have all of the technical ability of the contractor. So we've actually taken words and repurposed them for functions that may be a bit unique to us. One of the big challenges between using the words engineers and architects is that they have a professional responsibility. And part of their roles is to... Uh, complete a certified course of education, then to join a professional body. And that allows you to say, 
you are a certified or a professional person. And then that allows you to go out and get professional indemnity insurance. So if you are involved with, as an architect designing a building, you are required to ensure that the building is actually going to stand up and not fall down. If you're going to design it for a 50-year life cycle, you're not allowed to design a building that will kill people, basically. And yet in IT, we are exactly allowed to do that. We create systems that work in hospitals or work in medical science. And none of the people involved have a certain level of professional credentials or insurance associated with their work that it actually has to work. And that leads to a certain, well, what can we say, cavalier attitude to, Uh, you know? Yes, but no. I mean, I think that's an excellent, excellent point because I think you're highlighting the fact that engineers and architects take two different paths. Hmm. I think the thing I'm poking at is in the construction or in the building business, architects and engineers don't have, their overlap knowledge base is actually rather small. And an architect may be required to build something, design something that doesn't kill people. But if it actually does kill people, the chances are it's the contractor who's going to get hit, not the architect, because architects do beautiful things. They make pretty (laughs) buildings. And it's not their job to know that concrete falls down and goes boom. Uh, um, In our world, we basically take the best engineers, as you said, and sort of say, okay, you're not an engineer anymore. You're an architect. And Mm. given that they're different skills, and they're not necessarily different skills, but they're different talents, I guess. I can, Many, many times a good engineer becomes a great architect or a great engineer becomes a good architect. But I'm wondering if we shouldn't be rethinking those roles a little bit more, combining them more, and in some respects is specializing a bit more. You know, we essentially take the same core group of people and slot them into different roles and expect them to be great at it, and then expect them to understand the difference between each role, which is when Mm. we don't understand it ourselves. On top of all of that is what you just said, which is, well, there is no professional career path for designing things and engineering things that better not breaking because breaking will kill people. Because I think we're starting to hit that right now. I just had a conversation yesterday with the head of architecture at a very large name brand logistics company and talking about drones and talking about unmanned vehicles. And if we screw up our design, people die. And that's not what usually, <laughs> that's not usually what engineering at enterprise engineering is about. One of the interesting things is that I believe we're going to see more of this. There is a trend where insurers are no longer going to cover cyber insurance. So up until Yes, that is a bit, Zurich came out yesterday or the day before mm. and said, we're not doing it. No. However, this is exactly why certified architects and certified engineers came into the market was because you could get insurance if certified engineers, if you were a certified engineer or a certified architect and you broke certain rules or failed to follow certain design practices, you would then be decredited and your ability to participate in these projects was removed. The same way that lawyers and doctors and other professionals are removed from their from their jobs because if they do malfeasance. And yet in IT, malfeasance is almost a core activity. That's called startups in Silicon Valley, right? Yes, Move absolutely. Fast, break things, break don't fast. care about loss or data or damage, you know, just... Yeah, exactly. Mm. So it's, it's interesting yeah. to me that these roles may, and I guess we're deviating a little bit, these roles that we sit, we talk about architect, engineer operations, does everybody need to be certified or accredited in the long term? Maybe that's a discussion for another uh, day. Let's go back to where we are. I, I think that's, no, I think that's actually an important discussion mm. to have because, you know, the accreditation wasn't something I expected we'd jump into, but I think it's a good one because my worry is that one of the strengths that we have in our field, at least at the moment, mm. is that this, it's always, it's not always, but it's often the same people. You might start your job right out of college 
you know, patching routers or something like that. You're in operations, you're maintaining the router. Over time, you get into engineering, you begin setting up the configurations, figuring out how things should work, doing the configuration. And as you get more experience and more breadth, you become an architect. I think that's actually a hidden strength of our field because it's the same people with the same background who understand the basic, you know, the basic computer science and the basic electronics that allows, allows them to have an innate knowledge of what can and can't be done. Whereas in other fields, if you specialize too early, you have architects designing buildings that can't be built safely and engineers being tasked to build them safely when it's actually impossible. And then when it breaks, it's just a matter of, you know, lawsuits and courts and everything else. Mm. Um, So I think what we would want to do is somehow maintain that concept of a core base of knowledge while layering on a series of training programs or whatever it is. says this is how to make an, an optimal operations person. This is engineering and this is architecture and by the time the person has hit architecture they've gotten all three that would be my Hmm. jana's perfect world yeah that you work from the bottom up that's an old idea of professionalism you start at the bottom you're an apprentice and then you become a journeyman and then you become a master craftsman of some sort is that still viable as we go forward are there gaps emerging in in strategic use of it inside of organizations where you would want the architects to be, say have a completely different set of training they shouldn't be training on the job because that takes them out of touch is that viable i don't think it is mm. and that's i would toss it out to to folks who are listening to mm. think about that because my concern my concern with the whole concept of architects is actual architects in our field are former engineers and so they understand what's doable they keep their designs within the realm of what can be built what can be built cost effectively and what can be managed effectively because they they've they know in their bones. Now that I've said that, mm. the weakness to that is what can be done 20 years ago is not what can be done today. And that's where you see a lot of failings in enterprise organizations where they're bound by the rules of the past. In our field, unlike, you know, unlike, I won't say completely unlike construction because they're always coming up with new materials and then a burst of new kinds of building because things could be done today that couldn't be done before. Mm. But the pace of change in our industry is so fast. To answer your question, Mm. I think we always want to keep that core from the ground up. But I also think there's got to be some element of if you want to call yourself an architect, you have to have a, a formal process and an informal process of staying up to speed in new technology. For where we are today in technology, I agree Mm -hmm. that the only way to become an architect is to build skills over time from the bottom up. You know, we talked about this in previous shows about digital transformation and how companies now becoming more and more dependent on IT and saying that IT is becoming key. So I'm thinking of the Southern Airlines outage. Is it Southern? Mm -hmm. Oh, Southwest. Southwest Southwest Airlines. Airlines. Yeah, we talked about that yesterday as well. The scuttlebutt online is that there was a massive IT failure at Southwest Airlines and then a number of people came out of the woodwork and pointed the figure at the CEO of the company for failing to spend money on IT over the last 10 years, I think, Mm -hmm. sticking with a legacy system and doing very little updates and very little maintenance and very little modernization as a way to make more profits and he walked off with a very handsome sum of money that's the money that should have otherwise been spent on it is that a criminal negligence possibly but i want to circle back to sort of the core Mm. you know yeah that's stupid but haven't we all worked for ceos that invested in the wrong things because they're idiots i mean my my favorite example who shall remain nameless and the industry shall remain nameless the uh one of my clients walked in and showed the boss how to do something that had, could, had never been possible before and that their largest client was clamoring for. 
And he needed $10,000 to do um, maybe $20,000 to do a proof of concept for the client. And she looked at him and said, no, we're going to spend that money on the conference system hmm. and the video conferencing system, which was one of the stupidest decisions I've ever seen. So yes, we've all <laughs> seen that. Yeah. And strangely enough, she's no longer the boss. Coming back to those roles, I remember many, many years ago, my boss at the time talked about how there are different mindsets for different roles. And one of the things he said was, for the operations people, these are the people that take a different path to work every single day until they found the absolute optimal route to work for specific conditions, because that's just how they are. They like to do that. Mm. Architects are the ones that are sort of peering over the horizon, looking at what's coming and and trying to f design something new that's never been done before. And to a certain extent, that's character. That's just how people are. You know, you're not going to take somebody who's excellent at operations and turn them into excellent at architecture unless they're a very unusual person, which they do exist. Mm. I also think this, this notion of, by and large, migrating from operations, which is attention to detail, understanding maintenance and management and, and the importance of upgrades and things like that, to engineering, which is configuration and setup, moving to architecture, which is that vision piece, I think that path is actually incredibly important because it means that by the time you hit being an architect, you have to consider all three pieces. Yeah. And you have to say, look, here's my vision. Now, how do I make it actually work? And how do I make it manageable by humans or humans plus AI and bots? It's very difficult, isn't it? In the sense that we live in an industry which is almost entirely unregulated. So you can make an architect's role anything you like. You know, we've we've seen teams of people with, so the Windows architect, Microsoft Windows Server architect, and another one for the network and another one for the storage. Really, they would just report there was someone that needed to get paid at a certain level. So we gave them names. Like, have, have you worked at a company that sort of says, we can't pay you more than this because our managers get paid this and we can't oh, yeah. make an ordinary... Oh, I, I have a, a friend that actually had 10,000 ghost employees because at his company, at his level, he had to have 10,000 direct reports. So he had 10,000 non-existent because he was a very, very senior architect. Well, <laughs> you keep coming back to the whole de-risking, mm. um, mm. which is an aspect that I think is important, but it's really, it shouldn't be the only aspect that we're looking at because there's certainly, and I think we may want to talk about this, there's certainly the fact that mm. IT is going to be asked to do stuff it has never been asked to do before, yeah. which is to be mission critical, literally life and death, whether yeah. it's in healthcare, whether it's in unmanned vehicles, whether it's in airport logistics. Yes, IT has always been there, but now we're getting pushed into the forefront with quote unquote digital transformation, which we'll talk about later. So de-risking things by requiring people to pass tests and whatnot is maybe important and maybe something we need to consider. My concern is that it generally tends to act as a drag on innovation and Without praising the, you know, move fast and break things model, I think it's possible to go too far. And by de-risking things to the extreme, you actually slow down doing things that are possible to do safely. I mean, we've talked a lot about over the last, I don't know, half a dozen shows about the enterprise architecture role and this ability to spend, you know, a gazillion dollars. IT is increasingly one of the biggest spends that companies will make. Mm -hmm. And yet we're still oh, basically yeah. working on a 50-year-old... 500-year-old model of apprentice journeyman master type idea of professional development. 
Yeah, but I, I'm well, not I mean, practical and it works. Yeah, I'm not completely convinced that any other model would be better mm. because it's not like buildings don't fall down and bridges don't fall down today. They do. Mm. Um, but there's also some know, science so, attached. Like, and I also these, don't think... You know, these people yeah. are expected to have science, some maths. And well, some, architects are not. Mm. And that's and that's what I'm getting at. Architects actually don't study a lot about material science. That's mm. an engineering course. And that's the thing that I'm pushing at, which is you absolutely have to uh, have, yes, regardless but, of the model that you put. An architect may have a limited grasp of detail but they also have an architectural office and the architect is is not one person it's a company and part of that is to have oh often it's one person i i I completely disagree Mm. i mean often it is often it is one person with a bunch of people who are potentially subordinates and the beef that i have with the traditional architect model is that they don't understand science Mm. and that's where you get buildings that don't work that leak you know what you want is an architect that has an architect that has a solid understanding of that science and the, and the only way i see you being able to get it in our field with how quickly things change is actually by doing it either having that engineering degree and then and then training as an architect although i'd rather see someone tr- come up at least as an engineer operations is a bit of a special case but not but i want to come back to the point that mm. i don't think de-risking is the it's a very very important aspect of this but I think there's a bigger aspect when you, you touched on when you said, hey, IT has become so important. We've got to maybe rethink how we do this and how we staff these roles and how these roles interact with mm. each other. Because that's the other thing. I've dealt with architects that are carrying beepers. And I'm like, if you're the architect, why are you carrying a beeper? There's no such thing as, oh, my God, we've got to get this design completed by 12.01 a.m. <laughs> like, no, beepers belong in the operations people. Maybe one or two engineers as third level help desk operations if it's a problem they can't fix Mm. but no architect should be carrying a beeper and yet we have organizations where sure you're the architect but you're also that comes back to this idea of training on the job where you're a an apprentice a journeyman a master then your architect is always your best technologist and that may not be the right model is what you're saying uh i'm saying that's the reality if you stick with the with with the model that you you work your way up through the ranks therefore your architect is the number you know is your primary or one of your best skilled talents with the knowledge of all the operational systems then things escalate to them naturally whereas right. if you you have a different system where you say if you're going to take the role for being responsible for spending large sums of money and therefore your training has to be different then you don't become escalation because it's not natural because that person is not necessarily the most skillful and then operations has to take responsibility and not escalate past their out of their team also push back in our model architects actually don't spend large amounts of money they create beautiful powerpoints and then go to other people and try to convince them to spend large amounts of money and typically that person is the cio and that's a whole different discussion Mm. because the the role of the cio the cto and the head of digital transformation is something that needs to be revised and rethought oftentimes the architects all report up into the cto who typically is not given a huge budget that person is an influencer not a you know not a spender Mm -hmm. Uh, and that is kind of a problem because if you're going to design a building and then can't get funding for it Mm. what's the point well and again that's another thing that happens a lot if you engage businesses that are external to it the architect has to take a brief and you don't have mm-hmm. influences derailing what the architecture is doing. You go to the architect, you say, this is what we want. And then the senior mm-hmm. architect works to put out together a design and so forth and so on. The challenge with that, of course, is that that is not very timely. 
when you have these sort of rigid designs, we talked about this when we talked about uh... right, and we need and we need to stay flexible. Yeah. And the other the other piece I want to weigh in when I when I kicked off this whole series of reflection, I realized that part of what I define an engineer as is the person who sees the problem. Which, if we start getting really siloed and codified, we kind of tell the engineers, "You don't get to do that. The only people that get to understand what the problem is is the architect, mm. who is not you." which I think is absolutely broken. I think for an organization to stay dynamic, fluid, and and to evolve effectively, everybody needs to be trained in how to perceive problems present and future, and then how to deal with them both within their scope and outside of their scope. So the operations person may say, you know, if we had a different, if we engineered things differently or we architected things differently, I wouldn't have this problem. And that person should be rewarded for thinking about that and should have a venue for putting that insight into broader discussion with the people who have the ability to do something mm. about it. And I think that's the model we need to move towards instead of going backwards to the models that that exist with all their flaws and saying architects come in from one, you know, one set of training and engineers come in from another and operations comes in from yet a third and we limit what they can do. I think we need to take exactly the opposite approach and say, we need everyone to be trained in thinking about the vision, thinking about the customer's problem, the business's problem, thinking about how to implement it and how to manage it. And even if people by nature are going to want to want to pick one of those three roles or evolve through all three. Mm. Some people are suited to one role and not to another. And that's exactly. a challenge. And some yeah. people progress up, <laughs> you know, if it's seen <clears throat> as up and there's often more responsibility and more learning associated with the moving up from operations to engineering. We, you know, we're inherently saying one is their upward move. We don't value op right. operations as much as we do engineering. Yet the whole DevOps Which movement is, is, is exactly that. Yeah, it's, yes. a, it's a realization mm -hmm. that operations is probably more important than deployment. So it means we need a we need a different career path or that what, or the option. So let's take our hypothetical young engineer, you know, young Jana, just just out of college, drop her in as operations. And from the get go, she should be taught, hey, think in terms of what the problems are. Tell us what problems you're seeing. She should be given a forum for proposing the, both the problems and the solutions, both and the solutions need not be limited to operations or engine uh, operations that can be engineering or architecture mm. solutions. But she should also understand that she has two choices at least. One is to become a better and better and better at operations. If she just loves this, there should be a career path that leads to fame and glory as head of operations. And there should also be a career path that says go into engineering and from engineering go into architecture. Hmm. You know, but there should always be that off ramp to to do what you're doing today better than anyone else does it kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's difficult. It's difficult because I do think we need more discipline and structure in IT as we become maybe it needs to be something like in we have accountants and we have chief accountants. A lot of the people who work in accounting have zero skills, you know, zero training or very limited training accounts purchasing, accounts payable, and so forth. But at a certain level, you actually require a degree in something to be able to say you are a professional, and therefore you have. And somewhere in the team, there's a CPA. Certified, yeah, yeah certified. I do wonder if that's the future yeah. direction, and that's something that we have to have, is that there's somebody out there who is worth five times what other people get paid because they've been and done, and they carry liability. The board can turn to them well, and say, no, and know, which, professional liability can be associated with that person. 
I would I would sort of turn this to the audience and say, what do you guys think? Do yeah. you think there should be more structure and more professional training for IT, or do you think there should be less? Do you think we're at the right level? Let us know what you guys think. Uh, I would love to continue this conversation, Greg, mm. because I, I think you've you've got opened up a whole new can of worms that's really important and is critical I've to the got industry. All sorts of dumb ideas. About. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, but but I'm telling you, this is why I like doing mm. these these shows with you because you come up with these new angles to things that are really worth talking mm. about. So please, if you're listening to this and you have some thoughts about how we should be, you know, professionalizing IT, please let Greg and me know. Greg, where should they be? The best way to get to? in contact with us is to go to packetpushes.net slash follow up, which is slash fu. FU for short, packetpushes.net slash FU. There's a little web page there. We don't need your details. We don't want your email address. Just send it. You can send it anonymously. Obviously, if you give us an email address and a name, we'll get back to you and ask more questions and thank you for your input, of course, but it's not required. Also, one of the things that I would like to see, Jonah, is maybe get some people on to argue their side of the story. I would yeah. love that. I would From love the real that. world. So if you're interested in... in- <laughs> Yeah, if you're interested in coming in on the show and you want to pick us apart, uh, let us know. I will also add that we would love to have you come join the Nemertes community. Hit nemertes.com slash community. Fill out the form. If you say you're coming from Packet Pushers, you are in. And you can come in and Mm -hmm. and chat with me and with Greg in real time. Well, ish. (laughs) Chat. We do do live events, actually. But we would love to have you on the show. And I just want to reinforce, if you do give us that follow-up, Greg always shares it with me and we discuss it. So it will always be paid attention to and on that note thanks so much for listening don't forget that packet pushes is a podcast network there's many more fine shows on our network head on over to packetpushes.net to find all of our other shows there that you might want to subscribe or just use your favorite podcast tool and search for the word packet pushes and you'll find not only our six different show channels but also our combined feeds where you can find everything that we actually put out across the network as always thanks very much for listening and remember that unanswered questions and unanswered questions unquestioned answers other problems we're not here to tell you how to think we're here to help you think about it for your own situation we'll look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks